Hey, I'm Sailor, and it's another episode of Metal Rockin' Whiskey. And you know what? Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. For the listeners new to this show, we sometimes compare two albums from one artist against each other, discuss, argue, and very unprofessionally debate the merits, and in the end, only one album or artist will reign supreme, but tonight is not one of those episodes. Uh, nope. We are going to divert from the normal process, and tonight we will be discussing a very controversial band. Rage Against the Machine. And of course, just as important, whiskey is a huge topic on this show, and I believe that it is my man Huge. Huge. Very huge. Huge. Yes. Huge. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) And I believe that my man Jake is going to be handling the whiskey pairing tonight. I've got a huge one for you. (laughs) Boom. I bet you do. That's what she said. Hey, oh. Never. (laughs) Before I get to that, what are you guys drinking tonight? Matt, you smartass, what are you drinking? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, my man Jake, I am drinking 1792 Single Barrel. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Nice. Yep. Tasty. Fancy. Very tasty. Love that stuff. Oh, yeah. As for myself, I needed something strong, not to give too much away, but to get through this band. Um, so I got... <laughs> Bullet barrel strength here. Whoa. Oh, I see what you I see what you did there. Bullet there in the go. head. He's got mm-hmm. a bullet in the there head. There you go. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. A Sailor. bullet in his mother French and head. Well, I'm sitting in a parking lot, so I'm drinking a fucking forty out of a paper bag. Deal with it. <laughs> Boom. So gangster. What? What? Gorilla podcasting. Hell yeah. From the Target parking lot. Hey, don't give my location away. <laughs> Oh, there's so few targets around. (laughs) So specific location. (laughs) To to the listener out there, keep an eye out on on your target parking lots on a Wednesday (laughs) evening. You never know when Sailor Sailor. will be at a target near you. (laughs) You should go in. You should go into the target and record from like the home and garden area and just sit at one of the picnic tables. That'd be amazing. (laughs) Excuse me, ma'am. Ma'am, I'm sorry. Can you excuse me? Because I'm fucking recording here. Okay. You're just gonna have to give me a minute. All right, Jake. Are you ready to reveal what your whiskey pairing is? Um, is that what you're drinking tonight? It is what Perhaps. I. It is what I am drinking at the moment. Yes. Okay. So, as I mentioned in the episode before this one, actually, this you know, Rage Against the Machine again is it's one of my favorite bands, which is um, quite interesting because I I would say more times than not. Um, I certainly don't agree from the angle that they're coming from um, in, in the, in their message and, and lyrics, which is, you know, I did have a, a, a very 
kind of snarky and sarcastically politically charged uh, whiskey segment all written up for tonight. But for now, I just didn't feel like it was going to send this show into the right direction. So I decided to scrap it. (laughs) I did stick with my same whiskey. And uh, what I will say is that uh, it's one of my favorite kind of it's not an every everyday whiskey by any means because it only gets released uh once a year at this point but it's certainly it's it's certainly kind of an unsung awesome whiskey in the market and um it is a source product to this point and it is uh it's rebel yell 10 year single barrel oh nice Ooh, it comes in at a solid hundred proof so Um, good like i said it's a it's a it's a ten year. The one that I'm drinking here, um, this was from. Uh, it was barreled in 2006. It was released in 2017, so it was last year's. Um, this is rumored to be sourced from Heaven Hill, which, uh, if you heard our new segment this week, uh, lots of shakeups at at Heaven Hill. But soon, uh, Luxco, which owns the Rebel Yell brand now. Um, is actually supposed to be releasing their own juice and and uh, but anyways I I decided I decided to save what I was kind of going to talk about in the whiskey segment I decided to save it for the discussion so we'll just leave it at that because there I think it's better if we discuss it as a group and not me just spout off certain sarcastic things about one of my favorite bands Probably good. So there it is. Let's drink whiskey and then talk about a political band. Hell yeah. <laughs> Let's what do could it. go wrong? What could go wrong? Let's talk about Rage Against the Machine, which is a band that formed in L.A. in 1991. It was Zach De La Rocha on vocals, Tim Comerford as bassist, guitarist Tom Morello, and drummer Brad Wilk. So Tom Morello's band, Lock Up, had broken up. The drummer of his former band encouraged him to jam with Zach De La Rocha and Tim Comerford. And uh, he was trying to start a new project, so he said, okay, I'll meet up with these dudes. And obviously, it was Kismet. They contacted Brad Wilk, who had previously auditioned for Lockup, and he was in. They jammed together. It was totally meant to be, of course. They named themselves Rage Against the Machine after a song that De La Rocha had written for his former punk band Inside Out. This term had been coined previously by Kent McLaird, who was an underground record label owner and zine publisher. He used it in a 1989 zine article. Remember the days of zines, guys? God, I love zines. So fun. I don't. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Are you talking about <laughs> magazines? No, zines. Like the physical ones we used to no, read and subscribe to no, and get in the mail? Zines, no, I'm man. Zines, oh, you mean like a, a you mean like a periodical? Oh, fuck off. No? Anyway. Uh, anyway. <laughs> enough, enough, enough. So pretty soon after the band formed, they began playing gigs. And one of their gigs was at California State where they recorded a demo 
and uh, it was self-titled, and most of the material would end up going on their debut album, but they shopped that demo around, and they had interest right away from several major labels. <laughs> Must be nice. Um, they went with Epic because they said that Epic apparently agreed to everything that the band had asked for, and they didn't seem to have any trouble ideologically with the label. So their debut album comes out, and it reaches triple platinum status, mostly driven on the success of their single, Killing in the Name of, that received very heavy radio play and very heavy MTV play. The fuck you version, of course, was not played on the radio, except in 1993, the BBC radio accidentally played the uncensored version. (laughs) (laughs) And someone got into a lot of trouble. Um, So the cover of the album was much like the content of the lyrics and the music and the ideology behind the band. It was powerful, it was controversial, and it was political. It featured Malcolm Brown's Pulitzer Prize-winning photograph of a a Vietnamese monk burning himself to death in Saigon in 1963 in protest of the murder of Buddhists by the U.S.-backed prime minister at the time. The album was produced by an already heavyweight to the industry, Garth Richardson. He produced bands like Alice Cooper, Testament, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and many, many more. Another guy we we definitely (laughs) definitely need to talk about on the show because he's actually, I don't know, would you call it production royalty or something? Because his father was an amazing producer as well. Um, So anyway, the band went on tour, and they did what you would do back then, which was the Lollapalooza thing, and they also supported suicidal tendencies in Europe. The, um, they would quickly end up on several movie tracks right away, one being one of my favorite movies for a soundtrack, which is The Crow. One of the best. After several years, though, of rumors about the band breaking up, <laughs> which I'm laughing because they come out of the gate with this triple platinum album, they're a pretty new band, and then there's rumors of them breaking up. <laughs> they're like, fuck um, it. I know. (laughs) They released the album Evil Empire, which was another chart topper and also rose to triple platinum status. In 1997, the band went on tour opening for U2. Strange. And all of their profits. That's so weird. That is really weird. So fucking weird. I mean,. I politically I can see it, but yeah. se- what the fuck? I, I mean, not even, not even. I, well, well, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a bit of a stretch, for sure. but for sure. Um, well, they're both politically guess, depending on which involved, band member you're talking same, about. Well, same bus, different seats. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. we digress. Um, so they donated all of their profits, though, from that tour to several social organizations. Same they same felt same. very strongly about doing things like that, and this would be a thread through their career. So shortly after that, they had their own headlining tour with several special guests, one being Wu-Tang Clan. There was a ton of controversy surrounding this tour, and actually police in many major cities attempted to shut the shows down or cancel them altogether due to the political nature of the band and their supposed... Their supposed... <laughs> supposed, supposed they supported that one. Blah. They're supposed, (laughs) quote, anti-law enforcement philosophies. Damn, I fucked that up. Um, Eventually, Wu-Tang were replaced by the Roots on the tour, and the tour continued with a little Love the Roots. I know, right? Love the Roots. Roots are so good. I've seen them, and they are incredible. Um, So, in 99, Rage played the infamous Woodstock 1999 concert, and... um, 
Then they released The Battle of Los Angeles, which debuted at number one, selling 450,000 copies in the first week. Then again, songs from this album ended up on some pretty big movie soundtracks, like a little movie called The Matrix. You know, just that little movie. And now, the little, Matrix little indie film. Just a little indie film, yeah. Uh, I'm sure no or, one's ever seen or, it. Or Godzilla. Oh, uh, yeah, let's not talk about Good that Good soundtrack, bad movie. Bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so on September 7th of 2000, the band was at the MTV Music Awards, and they performed their song, Testify. All was going very well. But then <laughs> Limp Bizkit won oh, the God. award for Best Rock Video. <laughs> <laughs> Comifer decided to interrupt Fred Durst's acceptance speech by climbing the scaffolding on stage. He and his bodyguard got to spend a night in jail for that stunt. I remember that I'm going to let well. you finish. <laughs> I remember that well. That was something. Lay <sighs> Well, in October of 2000, De La Roche released a statement announcing that he was leaving the band. He cited the inability to agree on pretty much everything as a band as the main reason. The next album, though, was still released, Renegades. It contained covers from artists like Devo, Minor Threat, and Cypress Hill, just to name a few, and it achieved platinum status. So after the breakup, Morello, Wilk, and Comerford stayed together and ended up forming Audio Slave with Chris Cornell. They released several albums and gained gained widespread critic and fan appreciation and charted, it was a chart topper as well. The band finally disbanded in 2007. Morello began his own solo career in 2003 before the disbandment, and it involved many, various projects. Um, I think if you don't know who Tom Morello is these days, you've been living under a rock. De La Rocha also began a solo career, and he started a lot of projects. Not many have been released, though. In 2007, there were rumors that the band was getting back together, and in fact, they did. They headlined the final day of Coachella in 2007, and it was just supposed to be a one-off show, but that would not be the case. Morello and De La Rocha played an acoustic set together at a workers' rally in Chicago after that, and then the band played another Coachella performance on April 29th. They continued to tour the U.S., New Zealand, Australia, and Japan, and then did a series of festivals in Europe in 2008. And then they came back to the States to do Lollapalooza once again in the U.S. in 2008, and it seemed like all was going well, and they were perhaps back together. So... Then in August of 2008, the band played the DNC in Denver and a music festival that was put together to protest the war. Also, in 2008, Rage performed during the RNC in Minneapolis. I say during, not at. Very different. And then in 2009, there was a very interesting campaign that was started. I don't know if you guys remember this. A British Facebook user wanted to get Killing in the Name of to become the number one Christmas song in the UK instead of a song from the show X Factor. Before the chart was announced, the Facebook group had over 950,000 members, and the bands themselves were giving it their full support. The band played a slightly censored version of Killing in the Name of on the BBC on December 17th that year. There were a few fuck yous that made it through, apparently. And during the interview for the song, they expressed their support for the Facebook campaign again. And guess what? The campaign was a success. Killing in the Name of became the number one Christmas single in the UK in 2009. That's amazing. (laughs) I love that story. So good. Um, So the band also at this point 
um, got together and decided that they were going to, um, they were going to record new music. And so those rumors were going around. Um, and as that was happening, they set a new record, achieving the biggest download sales in a first week ever in the UK charts. And, um, De La Rocha promised at this point that they would play a free concert in appreciation for the bands in the UK and sometime in 2010. True to their word, the band, the band announced that they would be performing that concert at Finsbury Park in London, which happened on June 6th of 2010. The concert was dubbed The Rage Factor. They gave away all the tickets for free by a photo registration to, um, I guess, I guess all of the fans had whoever signed up first one by one, that's how you got in. And, um, then there was a lottery after that as well. So they played together again after that in 2010, um, doing a festival circuit and then, um, some shows in LA. And at this point, the band again was saying, yes, we have a new album and work in the works. Yes, we're going to do an album together. And they discussed a possible 2011 release. But then in 2010, 12, Comerford said, maybe, when he was asked if there was a new album coming soon. And we're still waiting. But what has happened since is the Prophets of Rage, a supergroup um, project including Morello, Wilt, Comerford, Chuck D, and B. Real. So will Rage Against the Machine ever release another album? Your guess is as good as mine. I have no fucking clue. And that's your timeline. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't either. Nah. Couple, couple things to uh, to go along with your timeline. Uh, another, um, the reference to uh, the machine is uh, it, part of that was actually a reference to a um, a Woody Guthrie um, performance where you know we talked about Woody Guthrie. I think it was on the July Fourth episode, right? About yep. uh, misinterpreted lyrics and songs and. There's a uh, there was a performance that Guthrie did, and on his guitar, it said like this machine is used for change or something like that, and he had it in marker written on his acoustic guitar. And you know, Woody Guthrie was a known activist, and and that was one of the inspirations that uh, that Della Rocha used uh, for that song that he had written for Inside Out for the Rage Against the Machine that was that I had read, anyways. Um, <clears throat> And to your point about the soundtrack stuff, the the three big songs that were soundtrack songs that they put out, Genocide on the Crow soundtrack, Wake Up from Matrix, and No Shelter from Godzilla, those are three of my favorite Rage songs ever. Yeah, I mean, those no, it's no amazing. So that, yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah. And the fact that they, I mean, Wake Up obviously was on, you know, was on, was on the album, but uh, to my knowledge, I don't think No Shelter ever showed up on one of their actual albums, and no. Genocide certainly didn't either. Genocide, to me, has has uh, is one of Tom Morello's finest uh, works as far as within a, a Rage song. His uh, his guitar work in that song is just beautiful. It's incredible. Yeah. He's a now, talented motherfucker. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, he's a genius. Now, real quick, all you guys... Harvard-educated genius. Oh, yeah. Nonetheless. Very smart man. When you... We quickly pointed out about maybe being another Rage album. You guys quickly poo-pooed it in two seconds. So don't you think that if they made another album now, considering political climate and stuff like that, it'd probably go over really well. 
It would, but that's yeah. Why well, considering, but that's yeah. why that's why they won't. For, though you that's don't think, I, like, yeah. yeah, I think I think if they were ever already. to make an album, they would have done be, it. Now would be the though. time. You really? They would have yeah. done it already. Tribe Called Quest did it. They had an album out. Toot sweet. Um, I think that's what Prophets of Rage is for. It doesn't seem like and as, and they I mean they've been saying th- since 2011. It's 2000 the end of 2018. Like if they had material, I think they would have gotten it out by now because of what you just because of the current political climate. So I I was at the Coachella show that they did which was their first uh their first performance back together. And I'll just tell you flat out, I went to Coachella that year because I heard Rage was going to close the show the weekend. They were going to close the whole weekend, and they did. And uh, to, to the point, Roots played right before them, and oh my gosh, I mean, hard to top. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, Rage came on, kicked ass, but Roots were incredible. Oh they my gosh, amazing. they were their guitar player. I Ugh. mean, you're watching him, and you're like. This is like a young Jimi Hendrix. I don't no know why shit. people. I don't know why people aren't making a big deal about this guy. He yeah. freaking is awesome. Yeah, he's amazing. But <clears throat> so they kept saying when I was at the at the Rage show. So it's Sunday night, you know, long weekend at Coachella, out in Southern California, <clears throat> and so we're like, all right, we gotta we gotta go hit the hit the bar, grab some beers get ourselves you know good and stockpiled before before they hit the stage because we don't want to miss any of it the line at the tent is super long so we're in the line we're like we're getting our beers right there and rage comes out and starts playing and and we're like oh shit we got to get out of here i'm gonna take my beers and throw them oh my gosh (laughs) no we just we bombed them we bombed we each bought like two of course you know coachella the funny thing about coachella is is even at that time in 2007, it's the only booze that you can buy is Heineken and <laughs> like and these like yeah. middle shelf white wine and red wine. It's <laughs> it's total. It's hipster before hipster. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so we we walk out of the tent. We we both just shotgun. There's four of us. We shotgun the two Heinekens and. Now we're looking at a crowd of 75,000 people in front of us between us and the stage. And we just link arms and we start fighting our way through this crowd. (laughs) And within the first two songs, we kicked, we punched, we pushed. One of my buddies almost got trampled completely, but because we were linked, we pulled him back up. We got ourselves all the way within three rows of the front Within the within the second song, bruised and sweaty and everything else, and it was one of the greatest experiences of my entire life. And I tell you what, this entire crowd of seventy five thousand people was just moving as like an amoeba. It was just one giant blob of people connected, this ball of energy that was moving. If the crowd jumped, everybody jumped. If the crowd moved right, everybody went right. I don't know if I've ever been that sore the next day after a concert in my entire life. And it was just the energy that you could feel from the band. The fact that they had not played together in like seven years. I mean, you could just see it in their face. The way that they were moving, the way they were looking at each other. There was just such an energy there that... 
that they had missed in that amount of time. Even though they, you know, they had each done done their own thing, and Audio Slave was awesome, and uh, what Delarocha was doing was great. One Day as a Lion, his stuff there was really cool. But the fact that they came together, you could just see that they were loving it. Delarocha was just jumping up on the amps, like mm-hmm. I mean. Like, mm-hmm. solid, steady jump right on top of these stacks of Marshall. I mean, it was like they were kids again. You could see in their eyes. It was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. You know, Jake, it's funny you say that about the crowd synergy because... Oh, it was awesome. One of... Um, probably the only time I've seen them on TV was at Woodstock 99. And we actually... You know, because we ordered it to see Metallica. Metallica was on that on that bill as well. Yeah. And we, we caught Rage Against the Machine... And probably the second or maybe the three quarters, the end of their set. And one of the things I noticed, and I watched it again today, is the crowd, how the crowd moves. And they all move as one. It's yeah. true. Yeah. It's like, you know, usually yeah. you watch any any band and you can pick out guys over here that are going nuts. They're moshing. Yeah. You got people over here standing still. You know, you got, you know, the girl with her top off over there. But it's like you watch Rage and the whole crowd is moving as one so that's that's a great point yeah great point so i saw i saw them also probably i think right after you saw them jake i saw them at Lollapalooza after that it was during their comeback and i experienced the same thing um it was a i can't remember which Lollapalooza. I, I went to a lot of them in different um states and different cities i wish i could remember which one but it was absolutely jam-packed um, and we found ourselves, we didn't realize, I think we had forgotten who was coming on right before them. And I thought there was still yet another band. So when they came out, we were in the middle of the crowd, just standing there talking oh, and got, to- yeah, we got caught off guard. <laughs> and there were, I was with three girls and two girls that I didn't know very well yet. We had not discussed whether we wanted to be in the shit or on the side of the shit or what was going to happen. I didn't know what they acted like in the middle of a big crowd. So the band came on, all of a sudden, people went fucking, and we're in the middle of it. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is happening, and we can't get out. <laughs> so I grabbed one of the girls, and we did the same thing you did. We locked arms, and then one, then we actually switched, and we kind of, it was like the three of us in a row. And we, we held our own through about three songs. And um, there were some dudes that were being kind of protective and like kind of <laughs> yeah. had a circle. I think they would look over it's and see chicks standing dudes. there and be like, oh, shit, gotta, you know, you got to yeah. look out for the and, girls. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. And girls never get to be to the front. Um, and so finally, I was like the third song. And I realized I had a bloody nose. One yep. of the girls had like <laughs> her eye was like tearing like she she got elbowed but we couldn't keep up with this crowd of however many thousand people were there so we were trying to get out and finally this one this one guy looked like a fucking gorilla just swoops us up like all of us this has happened to me so many times this seems like a common i was gonna say i feel like i was gonna say i feel like i've heard this story i told you that someone lifted us up and like sent us across the crowd at the beastie boys it's and that was a Lollapalooza as well um so but this dude like kind of swooped us up and like pushed us and he was just like pushing it was almost like a video game he was like like pushing through the crowd and people were like falling down he was like going to the side and finally we got outside of it and i was like oh my god thank you so much and he's like yeah no problem when he turns around and just starts windmilling his way back into the the crowd but i just remember the feeling like even though everybody was 
sorry about the pun raging um it wasn't in there it wasn't really anger it was like it was like we you plugged ex- into an energy. Yes. Yeah. And we were all experiencing the same thing at the same time. It was a and synergy. Was fucking yeah. beautiful. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. And the, I have to go. I'm going to actually peace out on you guys. I got to go pour some whiskey for some folks. Um, but I just want to say for me, when they hit the stage, um, like I mentioned, their, al- their first album's artwork. And I learned a lot from them. I researched who this photographer was. Why did this Buddhist monk burn himself to death? What a thing to do. What was, crazy you know, story. a lot of the, a lot of, like I learned, I actually um, went to high school for a little bit in Oklahoma. And so I learned a lot about um, Native American heritage and the plight of the Native Americans in our country more than most people would because, um, you know, you take American history in school. I, I can't remember if it's middle school or high school, and you learn a lot about your states in specific history. And for Oklahoma, that is a, a major, major, it, the most important part of that state's history. So I already knew a lot, but I learned a lot more about reading articles, um, Zach talking about it, and um, just reading about a lot of their protests and I I just learned whether you agree with them or not politically, I think is irrelevant. I think we need more bands like that to challenge us, to make us um, question our own ideology, to make us question our own politics. And um, at the very least, hear that there is a different perspective and people think differently than you do or how you were raised. And that's okay. You don't have to agree with it, but we can all learn from each other. So that's it. I'm done. Peace out, motherfuckers. Have a good night. Goodbye. Have fun. Later. Bye, Sailor. So anyway. All right, Ed, you've been awfully quiet. Yeah. I played a mean round (laughs) of Guitar Hero to uh, Killing in the Name of one time. I bet you're just killing it. (laughs) And that's my May Rage Against we the have, Machine we have, story. We featured we feature guitar. I bet you are like a closet. <laughs> we sick featured guitar, guitar here on player. this show once before. You remember which episode? Yeah, that's yeah. right. I mean, you uh, played the plastic <laughs> I did for keys Aerosmith. pretty well there, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> that was that's a right. long time the ago. Aerosmith yeah. edition guitar. You guys mind if we take a yeah. take a that quick a five? All right. Yeah, we'll be six, music right back after this. All right. Thank God we took a break, because in the words of Sailor, I was going to pee my pants. Let's uh, let's send it over to you, Matt. Why don't you get us started? All right. So, obviously, we're talking about Range Against the Machine. Highly um, controversial, highly politicized, highly mm-hmm. opinionated band. Um, and... If I can draw a comparison real quick to a band that we had discussed on a much earlier episode, okay, I knew uh, I that knew was, I knew you were going to say that. Hmm. <laughs> but let's hear let's hear where you go with this. But if you if you want, uh, all right. So if you want to compare these bands, and the reason I'm comparing these bands is that if you want to listen to a band that is interested in a certain topic and performs about it. And then you want to listen to a band that is committed and passionate about a topic. Listen to these two bands side by side. Slayer will say that they are interested in certain topics that you might not agree with. You know, forget about what your views are about certain things. You know, try to put that on the back burner and just look at the at the 
the subject matter at hand from an objective point of view and you see what Slayer, you know, their, their lyrical content and what they are interested in as far as motifs and themes, those are things they're interested in. It's not stuff that they believe in. It's not stuff that they're passionate about. It's not movements they're committed to. And then you listen to a band like Rage who not only are interested in the topics that they sing about, but they are committed, they are passionate, they believe 2,000% in what they're performing about. I think you can hear the difference in the in the quality. As much as I love Slayer, I think that you can hear the passion in what Rage is doing compared to something like Slayer where it's just an interest. That's a fantastic yeah. uh, um, parallel that you make there, Matt. And I, I think, uh, uh, you know, Slayer had a, a lot of discussions and a lot of um, songs more in the theological and, you know, religious discussion where I think they were more um, maybe placing their opinions into the songs of, of what their thoughts were, etc. Whereas, whereas Rage, they were trying to make a movement. I don't feel like Slayer was, Slayer wasn't really trying to like oh, sell yeah. anybody on their ideas. They were just like, here's, Here's maybe what we think. This is this is how we look at this situation and take it or leave it. Whereas Rage is like, oh, yeah, you yeah, need to yeah. jump on board because this is a movement. This is a, I mean, we're gonna oh, yeah. organize and and protest and. Yeah, to me, it's like interest versus yeah, for sure commitment. That's a really you know, it's a really passion. interesting. Not that I agree with anything, but yeah, yeah. Basically, the difference between the two is. Rage actually has more of an agenda. That's than Slayer does. Well said. Slayer's well said. just out there performing. I would say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's not just here's my opinion. It's here's my opinion, and this is what we want to do about it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, see, and that's to me for me that's like one of the. Uh, did you like? Did you like the music this band of from Rage? Okay, I'll start out by saying. I like the musical okay. style. I love the musical style. How would Tom you describe? Morello how would you awesome. describe their musical style? <clears throat> I would love to hear this. Very aggressive hard rock. Okay, is the way I would describe it. Okay, but dude, whoever it, it's more <laughs> of the songwriting that I have an issue with. I mean, somebody needs to introduce somebody to Prozac here. I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, this. It, and, you know, I understand why <laughs> they do what they do and and what they're they're trying to do, and and that's all well and good. But that's not really why I listen to music. Sure. I listen to music um, as more of an escape to get pumped up to feel good, or you know, I, I like to use music to enhance a wide range of emotions. But being pissed off all the time isn't one of those emotions that I really want to um, enhance through music. Yeah, that's where. So I, I am, I am very politically active in, in my own life, and uh, and I, I do research that kind of stuff, and and stay involved, and I, I spend a lot of time writing a whiskey segment that kind of really got in depth, and then it kind of hit to me. Honestly, I was listening to a, another uh, a podcast of a radio show earlier today, and. And one of the things that uh, the guests on the show made them mention, they were they were talking about um, um, politics and sports. 
And, uh, you know, the mention was made, you know, with what happened with Serena Williams at the U.S. Open and some other things that are going on in sports today. And Kaepernick. yeah, and 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 the line yeah. was brought up, uh, you know, with Michael Jordan back in the day. And he was asked, you know, why he, he didn't get, you know, politically involved. And his comment was, and this is a famous quote that Republicans buy sneakers, too. And that was his quote. And the the idea is, you know, there's there kind of needs to be some things in our society that can be an escape. And I heard that today and it made me rethink my whiskey segment to think, you know what? Maybe I kind of hope that this show is an escape for the listener, that there's a lot of stuff going on in society today. And, you know, it's not that we want to skirt away from important topics we don't but maybe hopefully we can provide an atmosphere for the listener that that gives them an enjoyable entertainment while still providing information and not just you know a in a opinion um thralled hour to two hours of because I mean a lot of music, a lot of music and and everything. I mean you could you could go off on political tangents in music in pretty much every episode that we do, and and we've discussed this on previous episodes that it's not that we're that we try not to discuss it. It's just maybe there's better things to discuss with certain bands. But when you talk about certain rage, bands, is, rage is definitely one of these I think bands. This is that example you number one. You can't get away. You can't. You cannot put that to the back. You, but you, you can get, get away from from, exactly. from um, um, you can you could get away from it being becoming a political debate. You could you could discuss what David, their exactly what yep. their maybe their motive was and their their agenda and their process without saying you know this is where uh, you know this is where I disagree or agree and here's this that and the other thing. I think there's other shows that might do a better better job than than we will at really dissecting yeah. <laughs> the socio-political uh feel of America today. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And I'm a I'm a huge proponent of freedom of speech and you know if that's what they want to do, God bless them, you know, let them do what they do, but I always have I have the freedom myself not to listen to it. You know, so I even went so far. It's true, so you guys yeah. know I I've I joked about this. I don't remember if we've done it on the mic or off the mic. I've come on with some different shirts because we we do video within ourselves, even though this is an audio podcast. But I'll put on a shirt every now and then just to get a rise out of sailor or something like that. And I even <laughs> changed the shirt that I had on because I I was ready to go with a very you know politically charged whiskey topic and. Instead, and it's uh, it's from a uh, a nonprofit organization that I'm a part of, and it's called Sidelines, and the uh, the tagline is friendship, community, and team, and it's a it's an organization that that helps involve uh, special needs kids into athletic programs, and uh, and I don't there's no politics in that. That's just a good thing to do, and so that's mm-hmm. kind of my mindset coming into this is. There's a lot of there's a lot of heat in the country today, and I I think I think I would much rather see our show be, uh, you know, the kind of show that can bring people of different viewpoints together and discuss music and whiskey. You know, as a um, as a 15 year old kid 
you know, hearing <laughs> Evil Empire for the first time. And, you know, not giving a damn about what the political motivation or maybe even the lyrical content was about. You know, I'm just hearing hard music with rap, with funk, with all these different musical styles in this one album. And I'm freaking digging it, you know, and maybe maybe not till later, you know, when I wasn't in high school and I got into college and I could sort of I had a, a, a bigger view of the world where I could look back on an album like that and be like you know they're making a huge statement there do I agree with it do I not agree with it you know um, you know to me you know Zach could write lyrics and sing about anything real quick sorry sorry and to interrupt freaking amazing so Ed, yeah Ed when I when I asked no, you yeah. how you would describe this band I think you said aggressive hard rock right yeah, Matt. How would you describe? I'm just. I, I want to write this down because I'm. I'm really. This is something that I, I'm. In all the documentaries and every interviews and everything, I heard so many different ways that this band was described. So it's really intrigued me. How would you describe this band's music, Matt? <laughs> oh man, I can't pigeonhole them. It's, they're impossible to pigeonhole. But what I can tell you, it's a Frankenstein. Yeah. So, like, it's, what? What? It, it's hard. What it's hard rock of genres. Would you say yeah. that it is? I mean, it, it's hard rock. It's hip hop. It's funk. Um, you know, it's 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 Ooh. Zeppelin style. Some of the, some some of his riffs are in Zeppelin mold. Uh, <laughs> Zeppelin mold. You can't. You're the you first person I've heard say that. And I, I, love I think it. there's a heavy influence there. Yeah. There's a heavy influence there. Um and it's just you can't pigeonhole them. They are who they are and there's nobody That's else fantastic. like them. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I would <clears throat> I I would say that uh I don't know how how you can leave the funk a- the funk aspect is is really one of is is no, one of the things of that I there, love man. most about yeah. this band is uh is the funk bass the 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 drum timing incorporates so much funk. <laughs> I mean all I mean yeah. all the big hits, all the singles oh, are yeah. heavy funk, man. Yeah, I mean you yeah. you name them. No, I, yeah. I I would have gone. Uh, I pretty much would have said almost exactly what you would have said. Is is that it's 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 hard rock and funk with hip hop lyrics. You know what I would like. I mean, what you they know what did. I'd like and, to hear yeah. would be very interesting. Say it. <laughs> you don't want to. You don't want to hear it now. To hear <laughs> "Rage Against the Machine" oh. cover some Beastie Boys songs. Oh my gosh, that would be an awesome mashup. Would well, that be very, amazing? They were heavily influenced no, no, by them. They've, yeah. they've absolutely. I think they could pull it off. They were big yeah. time. No, I, I. That was one yeah. of the things that I always found really interesting. That. To my knowledge, that Beastie Boys never sampled Rage. I always thought that would have been an awesome mashup. But, yeah. but not only that, just cover them, but kind of do a little spin on it to make it their own. Because um, I think that should be would be some um, that's be some Rage Against the Machine I could get behind. Oh, there you go. You know, <laughs> get rid of the pol- politics and you know just some play some good old you know well, rock and roll. It's, it, it, would you say that were were you a fan of when they? I mean, 
for all intents and purposes, uh, Raging Against the Machine minus Zack was Audio Slave. You know, minus Zack add one of the greatest frontmen of all time and Chris Cornell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I and was, now you got this incredibly yeah, sure. politically charged lyrics, you know, lyrics to, you know, the Audio Slave stuff was like, I mean, it was life structuring and, uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, we could have our you know, own show I'm, I'm, on. The more I think about really it, could. I think it's yeah, yeah. maybe not just the lyrics, but the tone of the singing um, to a certain degree. It's aggressive. Yeah. See, that's passion. To me, I mean, though. not, it's, not that it's bad. Whether I, whether I agree. Because I, mean, I, I love Killing yeah. in the Name of and, you know, Bulls on Parade every once in a while. But, uh, yeah, I just can't take them in. I have to take I them remember, in limited doses. I'll just say I remember, that. Uh, I remember there yeah. was a radio, local radio station that uh, <clears throat> they had announced that they were going to play. And they did this, like, you know, it's funny because nowadays, you know, after what? Like after 9 or 10 o'clock at night, any cable show can, you yeah. know, drop F-bombs and everything else. But F-bomb, that's not what it yeah. was in the 90s. I mean, <clears throat> I remember our local, you know, rock, hard rock station, the, the same station that did the uh, mandatory Metallica at 9 o'clock every night. They, they, uh, they I remember one night they announced that uh, directly following mandatory Metallica that they were going to play the album version of Killing in the Name of by Rage Against the Machine. And they were joking. They were talking about, like, the FCC is going to fine us, and we don't care. We're going to play the album version. And they played the full... And this had to have been, like, 90... This was probably, like, 95? I mean, I, I think I was still in junior high, so it was probably, like, 94, 95. And they played the full album version all the way to the end with all of the F-bombs on radio. But they, they did a thing, like... They waited till after 10 p.m. because I think the fines, mm-hmm. the fines were lessened by the FCC back then. If you were after 10 p.m. or so, because that was considered adult, you know, radio mm-hmm. or television. But uh, yeah, I still remember. I remember that like it was yesterday. That directly following Mandatory Metallica tonight, we're gonna play the full album version of Rage Against the Machines. Kill him in the name of. <laughs> on Q Q Q one oh six. No, I believe I I read that they were the key. They weren't they weren't inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but they were on the Which first is ballot. Bullshit. This year, but they were on the this first year their, their first were. year eligibility. Yeah, yeah, they should have gone in. I mean, I, uh, to me, Rage is a first year. It's a first year band because the, if you look at all the other bands. Yeah, the style that they put forth. I mean, we talked about Beastie Boys and how I don't in the Beastie Boys episode. I I kind of brought up. I don't think there would have been a Rage Against the Machine without the Beastie Boys. I thought oh, yeah. the Beastie Boys opened the door for a Rage Against the Machine to be successful because the Beastie Boys they they put hip hop lyrics to rock and harder rock, you know, mm-hmm. music. Yeah. Well. Did, I mean, look yeah. at look at how many different musical acts spawned out of the Rage Against the Machine uh, genre. I mean, you just look at it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And for one, I mean, even if you just go to the kind of hard rock funk style, 311, which is another one of my favorite bands, there would be no 311 without Rage Against the Machine. 
I mean, there, there's that. There's, I mean, for better or for worse, whatever side you want to talk about, political sides, there would be no Kid Rock. There would be no yeah. any Lim- of these bands Biscuit, that started. If you yeah, Limp Biscuit, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, God, maybe, maybe now we. What about Faith No More? Was Faith yeah. No More for your <laughs> Why were they so influential? Right. Okay, so Faith Faith No More was uh, epic, before, right? Yeah. So Epic was, but but Faith. Not all of their stuff was kind of that. They were more spoke. It was like more like spoken word. But it was still pretty rock. novel at the time. It was very. Oh, yeah. Especially Epic. Yeah. I mean, that was a huge. Uh, yeah. And they were touring you know, with Metallica. And, you oh, know. for sure. Yeah yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, that that song was definitely. Uh, that was kind of. What was that? Was that 90, 91? Seems like that was yeah, right around like ninety, ninety one. Yeah, because I remember it was, was ninety or ninety one. Yeah, it, it seems like it so. came out right around the right around like the same time that like Runaway Train came out, mm-hmm. Soul Asylum, which was in ninety. Yeah, yeah. So it seemed like it was right about that same sure. time. Yeah. yeah. But can you? And you know they were obviously like I said they were nominated on their first try Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, their first year eligibility, but. You're talking an eight-year window, eight years of music with, you know, forget about Renegades, good album. It's not their stuff, but you're talking three albums of original material. Now, can you remember or think of anybody else who was even in discussion for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame who had three albums? I mean, I mean, I know, I know, Hendrix. The Hendrix police was. I mean, Hendrix was very much. Sh- very short time albums. window i mean four albums uh four years yeah four three or four years he was on the scene basically but i'm saying anybody else who had such a short portfolio hendrix, i feel like hendrix basically got in as a solo even though the Jimi hendrix experience with noel redding and mitch mitchell was one of the greatest super bands of all time oh yeah and in that band, the band itself, I mean, Noel Redding was an incredible uh, session guitarist who changed to play bass because he had the opportunity to play with Jimi Hendrix. And Mitch Mitchell, one of the great power drummers of all time, who doesn't get enough credit because, you know, Jimi Hendrix, everybody just sees Jimi. Uh, but uh, I think they only they only put out two albums, I think, mm-hmm. as the experience. But Jimi Hendrix had a long career prior yeah yeah, yeah. where he was playing with soul x and i think he played with like james brown and a bunch of other like motown and soul you know performers and so uh, he had a long career i mean long he was what 27 how many you mentioned how many i mean how many albums (laughs) the police did how many did they release i think the police only put out three three or four three before sting left yeah but i mean to put out three original albums and even be you know, on your first year of eligibility to be in the discussion. I mean, that says a lot, you know. For the record, the police put out five albums between 1978 and 1983. Still and not a lot, though. Sting, yeah. Sting left in 83? Yeah, Synchronicity in 1983 was their last album before Sting left. <clears throat> and that was five? Yeah. Over, like, a seven-year period? Yep. Eight-year period? Uh, actually, <laughs> five-year period. Yeah, they cranked it out. I thought you said 77 to 83. No, a 78 Outlandus de Moore in 78. Oh, 78 okay. 
uh, Regatta de Blanc yeah, in much. 1979, <laughs> oh, Zenyatta wow. so Mondada five five. in 1980, Ghost in the Machine Man. in 1981. <laughs> then they took a year off and then had synchronicity in 83. Wow, it's like, <laughs> which you know, I would tell you. I would it's tell like you, Van Halen, the, same thing. Five albums yeah. in five years, man. Police, yeah. Police, Greatest Hits, Double Disc, is I mean that's a must-have for oh, yeah. any well, but any collection. It's synchronicity so good. too. Synchronicity so, album is yeah. so, good. so good. But we'll yeah. have to do them in another episode. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah if love, we talk I about if we talk about all-time great bass players, <laughs> we might have to. Oh, Sailor yeah. won't like it, but I have to. We might have to mention Sting. Sorry. <laughs> you know what? And, <laughs> I, I, I tend to, uh, I like to bring up drummers a lot because drummers yeah. can make or break a band for me. Yes. And uh, this is a band with Rage where this is one of my favorite drummers of all time. I mean, I <clears throat> you look at like a song, if, if you really want to feel that, I mean, I could quote a lyric, feel the funk blast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. That was a a great discussion about uh, um, Rage, and I actually had more to say than I thought I would, not being a a huge fan. But uh, can we go around quick? Just say favorite album, quick. If we can pick one, go for it. Gun the head. If you had to pick one, sure. As Matt, in contrary to what I said before, I have to say Evil Empire. Oh, if I had to pick one. I totally did not see that coming. I thought for sure yeah. you were going to pick self-titled. Nope. <laughs> okay. So is that Ed, well, pick? Evil Empire is the only <laughs> album that I know the name of out of the three. So, <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> I'm going to go self-titled um, because that was that was such a game changer for me when I heard that album as a young teenager. And I mean, I saw the cover, but I had no idea what that. I had no idea what that was. I mean, why is there a guy on fire? I thought it was like yeah. a drawing, you know, a fake kind of like computer animated kind of thing. I had no idea what that was. I mean, shit. I listened to the songs. I had no idea that. I mean, killing the name of itself. You listen to lyrics, and you would never know that it's, you know, discussing police brutality in riots and if you're a teenager and rage against the machine was coming up at the time that i was coming up listening to them you know we've sailor brings that up all the time with different albums where she brings up the point where maybe an album sometimes means more to you if you are in if you're growing up in the age at which the album's coming out oh, definitely yeah. if you're at a, a certain age and you, an album really connects with you. That's going to stick with you. And life, and this sure. this album was, I mean, Rage Against the Machine coming out in, you know, with that album coming out in '93, and I was in junior high, and and yeah, it's such an impressionable moment in my life where this music it just spoke to me. I mean, the style was just incredible. I I I really enjoyed. Like I said, I was a big fan of Beastie Boys. My older sister was a big fan of Beastie Boys. So I had heard Beastie Boys before. I had heard Rage Against the Machine. I had heard uh, Run DMC before I had heard Rage. I had also heard Metallica before I had heard Rage. So I had heard, you know, different rap and different 
hard rock metal bands before I had ever heard Rage. And so when I heard the mashup of the two, oh my goodness. <laughs> Forget it. Yeah. <clears throat> it yeah. It it spoke to me immediately. And, so yeah, I'm And I'm with you on sentimental value because that's why I picked Evil Empire, but to me it's really one A, one B, one C. It's really yeah, tough. you know, because yeah. Ba- yeah, you can't leave. I mean, Battle of Los Angeles is. Ba- I mean, yeah. the three of those albums, I, you just you can't go wrong. You know, Renegades is one of those where it's got a great. I, I love the Cypress Hill cover. I love Ghost of Tom Joad. I mean, there's some great songs on that album, but it just doesn't. It just doesn't fit. Yeah, it within, doesn't. Yeah. It's within not the, their stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean that trinity know. of Rage albums that yeah. are theirs. Yeah. So Matt, maybe maybe just throw the poll up in the group between the three albums. Yeah, I'm gonna leave Renegades off because I think it should be the three yeah. original. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I agree. Let's let's leave their original music, you know, to the test and see see what uh, see what the Facebook group says. Absolutely. All right. So, listeners, if you enjoyed the show, thanks for tuning in and join us next week where we'll have another episode. Of the Metal Rock and Whiskey podcast. And to all of you listeners, our fellow Metal Rock and Whiskey obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback. Find us on Instagram at Metal Rock Whiskey. Send us your love, your likes. Please share your thoughts, reviews, any questions, suggestions, concerns, and comments about the show you may have. You can also follow us individually on Instagram. Yours truly, at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is Whiskey Save the E, Ed. They can always find me on Instagram at Bourbon Geek. And they can find Sailor Retro everywhere if they just search for Sailor Retro. Jake? <laughs> I can't I can't hardly keep up with Sailor Retro on social media, <laughs> to be honest. Can't keep up with it. Well, you can find me at Bourbon Spartan on Instagram. That's the best way to do it. Or you can uh, you can find all of us chatting it up uh, in our Facebook group. Hell yeah. At the Metal Rock Whiskey <laughs> Facebook group. Jump in there and you can comment on on our posts and you can see what the poll is for the week. And Absolutely. But but for now, for now, you know, we, we always, always love to shout out uh, our friends at When Particles Collide for, uh, for doing our our song for our episode and we love that and uh you know sailor has a thing that she likes to say i think sailor would say right now fuck you lars i won't do what you tell me and we're out <laughs> later everyone later guys <laughs>